All right. Well, um, we've been going through this session titled, He's an Author, talking about the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit is a person. He is a he. He is not an it. He is not some sort of impersonal force. He is a he. And last week, we covered the first half of page 25, where we were looking at his inspiration ministry. He inspired the writers of the Bible so that it could be rightly said that not only is Peter an author of the Bible, not only is Habakkuk an author of the Bible, but the Holy Spirit is the ultimate author of the entire Bible. 2 Peter 1 and 2 Timothy 3, of course, are the key passages to see that in the New Testament. But today we are going to transition from inspiration to his doctrine of illumination. So you see here that the Spirit's ministry concerning Scripture has transitioned. It used to be inspiration and illumination, but now it is only illumination. He has always been the one to help God's people to uh, understand in one way or another. In Old Testament times, perhaps that looked a little different than it does today. But uh, he's no longer inspiring books of the Bible. I trust that none of you in your earthly lives here have have said that I've been inspired by the Spirit to write a new book of the Bible. If you have, I want to have at least one conversation with you, and we could talk through that. But he has been working in your life to help you to understand Scripture and apply Scripture. And that's what we call the doctrine of illumination. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we'll start in verse 1. And would someone please read for us, The first nine verses of that chapter. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 9. Thank you, Jen. All right. We're actually going to look at this entire chapter here in the moments ahead. But we can see in those first five verses that Paul is taking the attention off of himself. When I came to you, I was not impressive, Paul says. Now, that's a a humble statement to make, and that's exactly what Paul's saying. He's saying that his message to them was inspired by the Spirit. It wasn't his power. It wasn't his persuasion. It wasn't his effort. But we see in verses 4 and 5, but this was the work of the Holy Spirit, not just in his speech, but also in their hearts as they received the word that he set forth that this was all a work of God, that he was inspired to speak from God. Of course, he's inspired as he writes this letter as well. And that they experienced the Spirit's power in all this simply by the fact that they believed, the fact they received his message when he was so unimpressive, the fact that they received his message even though he wasn't like all the other, you know, perhaps charlatans, but other really powerful speakers of his day, This is evidence that it's God's work, which really takes the pressure off of uh, preachers, doesn't it? I'm afraid there are a lot of preachers out there who haven't gotten that. A lot of preachers think it is the human effort. No, it's not. No, it's not. If God can use Balaam's uh, donkey, you know, he can use me. Uh, So that's great. And and the purpose is, verse 5, 1 Corinthians 2, 5, the whole purpose of this was that their faith would rest on the power of God. That they wouldn't think back. Anytime they had doubts, they wouldn't think back and say, 
did Paul trick us? Were we just, did, was he, you know, pulling the wool over our eyes, so to speak, you know, that, that sort of thing? No, no. Remember, Paul was actually weak. Paul was unimpressive. So it wasn't that Paul convinced us. This was the power of God that we were brought to this place that we believe. Why do you think Paul felt the need to clarify this with them? I just gave you one reason. I mean, there are many answers to this. I mean, one reason would be if they had doubts, they can think back to why they first believed and remember that this is the power of God. But if you think of other things here, I'd like like to hear what you're thinking, especially considering the Corinthians' relationship with Paul. Why would Paul feel the need to express this to them? Hmm. Well, that's an interesting question. Um, in a sense, he was kind of accused of that. He, he says in uh, his letters to the Corinthians that there are some there who are saying, yeah, Paul's really bold in his letters, but when he shows up, he's a pipsqueak, you know? He's just, uh, he's like uh, this guy who's really not impressive or maybe introverted, they would say. Uh, but he says on multiple occasions that he's bold with the Corinthians. He tells them, you know, hey, I'm... I'm not holding back. My heart's open wide to you. So kind of depends on how you interpret those phrases there. Oh, sure. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Rex? Yes. Oh, yeah. And there are a lot of people, and perhaps you can attest to this, Rex, who in their BC days, a bit rowdy, and then, uh, and then you come to know the Lord, and there's like a gentleness that God gives you. That, of course, you know, no one's perfect in that, but it, it's like a, there's a personality shift a bit. Uh, Peter is another good example. Uh, someone who is always willing to speak up and perhaps get into a war of words or whatever, usually sticking his foot in his mouth, you know. And then after he is born again, after he receives the power of the Holy Spirit, after he becomes a preacher, he writes this amazing a couple amazing epistles, and he preaches at Pentecost, and all you know, he almost has like a different demeanor about him. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I could see Paul feeling the need to clarify this with the Corinthians too, just because there were so many influences there that were trying to cast doubt on Paul's apostleship. So many people in Corinth who would come in after the fact and say, "Yeah, should we really listen to Paul?" And Paul's reminding them. You're not actually hitched to me. You're hitched to the Holy Spirit here if you're believing my message. Okay, so I think that's an important clarification he makes. Well, let's keep reading through this passage and look at the next four verses, 10 to 13. Someone want to read those for us, 10 to 13? Who can do that? You may. Evelyn will get the next one. You go ahead, Stan. Seniority, you're pulling rank here. Go ahead. We'll, we'll pause right there, Stan. That's good. Um, man, just an amazing passage here. I guess I better stick with my slide, otherwise I'll give, I'll give answers to questions I ask. Okay, um, who is doing what here? As you look at 10 to 13, who is doing what? Just at a real basic level, don't overthink it. Okay, good. So the Spirit is communicating. What's He communicating? Yeah, good. Good. Go ahead. No, what you were going to say. Speak. 
Yes. Okay, good. So the Holy Spirit is speaking to them, and he's speaking to them the deep things of God, the wisdom from God. So you see in verse 10, the Spirit is searching all things, even the depths of God. And he's taking these deep truths, the deep wisdom of God, and communicating it to them. And, and what are they doing, the Corinthians? Or you could put all believers here as the audience. What, what are believers doing here? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's not believers, verse 14. Uh, but believers receive. And we don't see it as folly. We see what the Spirit says as wisdom. And not by human wisdom. So verse 13, we don't see the deep things of God as just human wisdom. But we see the deep things of God as what it is, God's wisdom. The only way we could ever hear from God is if God himself decides to communicate to us. And this is, of course, what he has done through his Spirit. So the Spirit, who is God, has spoken and he's spoken the deep things of God, and he's done so in such a way that we can understand, that we can receive, that we can take his word, take his revelation, lay hold of it, and cherish it as the wisdom of God. So that's the relationship that's happening. God giving, we're receiving. And what he's giving is the true wisdom of God. He's giving true communication from God, and we are receiving it and cherishing it as such. Okay? Now verses 14 to 16. Evelyn, you want to grab those? Those last three verses of the chapter. Oh, no, it's Evelyn's turn. Evelyn's turn. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. <laughs> All right. So we must rely now, this is where... It, What's bringing home to illumination here. We must rely on the Spirit of God to illuminate or illumine. I'm never quite sure which verb to use. So, yeah. Uh, illumine or illuminate His own words in our minds because without Him, we are the natural man. So you see that in verse 14, we have this classification of persons where you have a natural man and then you have a spiritual man. You get that in verse 15, the spiritual man. What makes the difference between the natural man and the spiritual man, but do you have God? Do you have the Holy Spirit in your life? That's the difference. And depending on that crucial reality, whether you have Him or you don't, that's going to affect your relationship with the Word of God. If you have the Spirit, your relationship with the Word of God is one of loving the Word of God, loving the Bible, wanting to hear God's wisdom in Scripture. However, if you do not have the Spirit of God, what happens in verse 14? What does it say? Yeah, that's right. There's no acceptance. There's, there's utter rejection of the Word of God. The, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. And in the context here, we're talking about the revelation of God given through the Spirit, preserved for us in Scripture. And look at how strongly this gets. Or Let's see, what do I say? Okay, well, I'll just put that up there. Okay, that's not what I was going to say. So look how strongly Paul talks about this. It says in verse 14 that for the natural man, the revelation of God, which is the things of the Spirit, is foolishness to the natural man. 
And he takes it a step further and says, he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. So this is talking about ability here, isn't it? He cannot understand them. Now, of course, any unbeliever who knows how to read and write, someone who's uh, literate, can open the Bible and can understand the words on the page. Anybody can do that who's literate. There's no question about that. However, there is some sort of spiritual thing going on here where the unbeliever is unable to understand the Word of God in faith, because the unbeliever, by definition, doesn't have faith, the unbelieving. And the unbeliever is unwilling, unable to make any sort of spiritual application. The unbeliever is unable to read the Word of God and understand how this affects his life and make application to that. Joe, how do we reach them? Very good. Well, um, what is absolutely amazing is that even though the unbeliever in his natural state has this like wall that's in his way of making the spiritual connection in the Bible, the Bible is still the means by which God saves people. So in Romans chapter 10, Paul is talking about the unbelievers, and he says, how will they hear without a preacher? So preachers have to go. And he says, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So what happens in those moments as the Word of God goes forth, as the gospel goes forth, as the, the Word is presented to the unbelieving, in their, their state, their natural state, they're not going to accept it. But we rely on the power of God in that moment to save those people, and He's going to do so through the proclamation of the Word. Now, what, what happens is if someone goes to the grave rejecting Scripture rejecting the gospel that we find in the Bible, then that person obviously uh, was not affected by the grace of God, right? However, when someone comes to know the Lord, when someone believes, we credit that to the grace of God because in that moment of faith, God was using his word to reach that person's heart and to change that person and to cause that person to be born again. That's, uh, speaking of Peter again, that's the language he uses. Blessed be God, who caused us to be born again to a living hope. Yeah. Now, well, um, it's tough. So with our kids, children in our homes, they're kind of trapped, right? we got a captive audience. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, the world will say, well, that's indoctrination. Uh, but, hey, uh, reality check, everybody indoctrinates their kids in something. <laughs> right, well, so I, oh, I'm starting there as an example, right? Um, even if you're teaching your, your child, well, just go investigate for yourself, choose for yourself, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to push anything on you. That's still a form of indoctrination. You can't get away from indoctrinating your own kids. Um, now, do you, do you give up with people? Do you force people? Uh, Again, using the illustration of my children, am I ever going to give up on them? No, I'm not. Random person on the street that I bump into and the person just clearly doesn't want to listen, I kind of go with the don't cast your pearls before swine. Uh, It's like, okay, I've been trying to talk to you. You clearly don't want to even give me a fair shake here. Uh, Off you go. Uh, Well, 
I can't force anybody to believe. And then when a person has proven himself stubborn, everyone has to make that own deci- your own decision. Um, I-, I don't know what your evangelistic life is like, but uh, when I've, I've had many conversations with random people, is who I'm talking about, random people uh, at a city festival or wherever it may be, um, I, or an airplane even. Uh, you know, if, a, if someone is, is not willing to even fairly interpret my words, I get to the point where I just say, okay, well, Lord bless you, off you go, and I can pray for the person and that's it. So I just gave you two extremes, children in the home, random person on the street. In between, it gets difficult, doesn't it? When we're talking about neighbors, when we're talking about family, when we're talking about friends, people you have ongoing relationship with, but not as close as your own children or your spouse, um, it, gets, it gets a little difficult because you have to balance everything with you don't want to destroy a relationship. But at the same time, you have this strong sense of duty, and this is what the message is about today, the strong sense of duty to take the gospel to that person so that he or she can be reconciled to God. And you'll, you'll have to make those decisions yourself. It's difficult. Yeah, yeah, that's difficult. Oh, totally. You should be friends with an atheist. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Correct. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's. I don't know if you guys have seen that uh, <clears throat> that classic movie. I'm sure it won multiple Academy Awards. Nacho Libre. Uh, you have uh, Jack Black's character, who's a devout Roman Catholic, and uh, his friend there is an atheist. He says he only believes in science, and uh, he keeps prodding him. Jack Black keeps prodding him. Well, why haven't you been baptized? Why haven't you been baptized? You know, for a Roman Catholic, that's the big thing. And so eventually, he takes a bowl of water, and he sneaks up behind him when his friend's sitting down, and he, boom, and he baptizes him, okay? <laughs> that's not our job, you know, as uh, Christians to uh, force somebody into the kingdom with uh, something like that. Of course, that doesn't, you know, that, that whole thing's goofy. But, uh, but we have to make those decisions. A lot of times we kind of have to resort to looking to put those little pebbles in their shoes. You know, that's kind of the language we use. Something that will stick with them and bug them a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But not too much because you don't want to lose your influence because you love them. I mean, the whole reason we're even talking about this is because we love people, Right. And so we don't want to want to ruin them while we say we're trying to help them. And it's it's tough. April, did you have a thought there? The power of living out your faith is really powerful. Uh, we we can't resort to just preaching. We can't resort to just hoping they pick up on our subtle example by our living. It's got to be both, right? We have to communicate with our words and communicate with our lives. Because the world is hypocritical. You can bank on that. So when they run into somebody who is unhypocritical in love, it does stand out. But you also have to remember that they, they need to hear. How will they believe without hearing? They have to hear. So it's got to be both. And, you know, tying this back to where we jumped off from here with 1 Corinthians 2, we do have to remember this is God's business in saving people. As I mean, we, we know this very deeply it, we cannot force somebody into the kingdom. And we think, you know, so, there are some people who are just set up so well, it seems, to believe. It's like, 
man, you're, you just lost your job, you lost your house, you lost everything, you've got all these Christian friends around you sharing the gospel with you, caring for you. This is like the perfect time to believe. What's wrong with you? And then you've got someone who has everything and is deeply entrenched in a false religion or an atheism or whatever it is, and all of a sudden God just interrupts his life, grabs hold of his heart, and he becomes a believer. So there are some people we think, oh, this person's going to believe because their, their life is set up that way. Not necessarily. And there are other people that we give up on, and God ends up saving them. And we just need to remember it's God's business, and it's through the power of the Word as the Spirit uses the Word. Yeah. <laughs> so we are pleasant. That's good. Okay. You can establish that. <clears throat> yeah. Yep. Well, it's, it's God's business. You know, the very next chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he tells them, some plant seeds, some water the ground, but God gives the increase. Uh, and I was just talking to Travis recently and told him about an interaction I had with an unbeliever, and he said, well, hopefully God gives him a new heart. That's his perspective. He didn't say, hopefully you do a better job. <laughs> Well, then that person is unbelieving. Yeah, that person has not received the gospel. Yes. And that's, and that's so important to remember. I mean, it, we see, obviously, God uses the home. God designed the home. You know, he, he designed this to work. But that is not, there's no silver bullet in any of this. Um, there are many faithful people out there who have raised their children to the best of their ability, prayed for their children, and one or multiple have not believed. It's God's business. Okay. All right, um, continuing to talk about illumination. Oh, here we go. This is, uh, okay, no, it's not. I, th I was thinking we were on the next page. No, we're not. We're, we still have to finish 25. Illumination of Scripture is God's teaching his child what it is that he has communicated so that the child may trust and obey. That's definitionally how we can phrase that. You see that at the bottom of 25. Illumination is God's teaching his child what it is that he has communicated so that the child may trust and obey. The Spirit's ministry of illumination goes hand in hand with his guiding and filling. And we'll talk about this guiding and filling business when we get to uh, the next section, section 6, which will cover the nature of salvation. And we'll talk about sanctification in that too, and how the Spirit works in our sanctification. But uh, illumination is God's teaching us what He's communicated so that we may trust and obey. Uh, we may have faith, and that we may apply what He has said to our lives in obedience to Him. God illumines our understanding of His Word to instruct us how to live, and it's a continual process. So let's all go to Luke 24 together, a very fascinating passage. Luke 24, starting at verse 44. In Luke 24, you have the road to Emmaus, those two guys walking along. And Jesus shows up, and he opens their mind, or opens their eyes to understand what's going on. 
And then he appears to the disciples. If you look at verse 36, it says that uh, the you know, disciples were chatting. And while they were telling their stories there, he himself stood in their midst. He just showed up. Resurrected Christ in the room. Hello. <laughs> Good morning. That'll wake you up. At verse 37, well, after Jesus says, peace be to you, they were startled and frightened. Well, I would say. They thought they were seeing a, a spirit. And he goes on to speak to them. Let's start in verse 44. He says to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you, have, until you are clothed with power from on high. So we have... All these words from Christ to the disciples. And in verse 45, we have Luke, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saying what was happening to them. Jesus was opening their minds to understand the Scriptures. So here we have Jesus illumining or illuminating. I still don't know which one's right. i got to ask Melissa about that. That's going to bug me. i got to pick one. Uh, illuminating their minds to understand what the Word of God says, uh, particularly the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then in 2 Timothy 2.15, we have this same sort of idea regarding illumination. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. How do you accurately handle the word of truth? Well, you do so by relying on God to guide you in your study, don't you? It's probably good to pray while you read the Word of God, before you endeavor to study the Word of God. It's good to ask God for help in this, to rely on God's guidance in this, that you would understand. You can't accurately handle it if you don't understand it. <clears throat> now, Timothy, of course, was a preacher. He was a pastor. And how important it is for pastors to accurately handle the word of truth. I feel that burden constantly. As much teaching as I do, all this communication I put out there, uh, it's all for naught if I'm not accurately handling the word of God. It's not enough to just handle the word of God, to say that you use the Bible. That's not enough. You got to do it accurately. You got to handle it rightly. Yet it's important, uh, in conjunction with all that, to understand that illumination does not make us perfect or comprehensive in our knowledge of God, but it's the only way that we can obtain knowledge of God. So your, your thoughts might wander to, well then, okay, I, just, I pray to be illumined and then I'll understand everything. Not quite. Illumination, hi Virginia, you made it. We'll just, uh, we'll give you a tardy officially, you know, and three tardies gets you a detention, and uh, you, you don't want to know. Yeah. It's like purgatory. <laughs> well, 
Welcome, welcome. Do you need uh, page 25 today? Okay. Oh, you got it? Okay, very good. So illumination from the Holy Spirit does not make us omniscient. You understand that? Uh, Omniscient is an attribute that belongs to God alone. He knows all things. And the Spirit searches the mind of God. The Spirit knows all things. You are never going to know all things. Some people think when we get to heaven, oh, we'll understand everything. I don't think so. Remember that? There's that chasm. Creator up here. Creature down here. There's an infinite chasm. You can't cross to becoming omniscient. Some say when we get to heaven, we'll finally understand the Trinity. Okay, well, well, when we get there, you can illumine me, probably, because I don't know if I will. Don't know if I will. So we're never going to become omniscient. We're never going to become perfect in our understanding. That can sound a little bit despairing, but it shouldn't, because there's plenty that we can come to know, particularly those things that are of first importance. When Paul, again, writing to the Corinthians, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, I declare to you from the beginning... That which is of first importance, that Jesus died according to the Scriptures, was buried, and was raised according to the Scriptures. You can come to know that for certain based on the testimony of the Word of God. Now, there's a whole host of doctrines out there. There are different things you can believe about all sorts of stuff. And as you go through Scripture, you'll find out that there are some things that you just kind of have to toss your hands up and say, I don't know. I'm just not sure. And that's because... You are not God. You're not omniscient. You never will be. Joe. Yeah, sometimes you won't find out uh, certain things, right? We, God has never promised. He will explain to you why everything happened the way it happened. He's never said that. So you just got to be careful. And similarly... You know, there are many people who have said, um, and and I think you would all in the room agree with this, that when we get to heaven, we'll all find out something we were wrong about. I I hope you believe that. I hope you don't think, I have the perfect doctrinal statement. Now, I hope you believe to the best of your ability, based on the Word of God, you have correct beliefs. I hope you're there, because that's your duty, okay? And to have conviction about those things. But you have to weigh that against you're not perfect. And you're not going to get to heaven. I I just don't think it's going to happen to anybody. You're not going to get to heaven and sit there with the ascended Son of God. And he'll, you know, you'll hand him your doctrinal statement and he'll look through and say, 100%, A+. I don't think that's going to happen. All of us are going to find out one way or another how we were wrong about something. Joe? Oh, I did? You've been banking on being perfect? Well, that's what I'm here for. All right. Okay, well, let's uh, go to the next page. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, let me finish uh, my thoughts, too, as you're turning there. When we are being illumined by the Spirit of God, we are being taught the Bible by its author, which is extremely cool. That's a word we can use there. Illumination does not discount the need for human teachers, though. How do we navigate disagreements? Well, we have to do so through humility. 
okay? We will have disagreements uh, on a host of things, hopefully not the major things, again, going back to the gospel. If we have disagreements on the gospel, that means either one of us is a Christian and the other isn't, or neither one of us are, because that's, you know, kind of what gets you into this business here of being a Christian is believing the gospel. And so there are very important things that we should not disagree on, but as it gets less important from there, and this is Paul's terminology, not my terminology, this is Paul's terminology. As things get less important, we notice an increase in disagreements. And so we all need to make sure we have humility in those situations and uh, do the best that we can to understand the Word of God. And, you know, Tyler and I are here as pastors of this church to handle the Word of God as accurately as we can to help you in that. That's why we're here. And so when you get confused about something, when you're wanting to know more about something, we're here to help you navigate through that and hopefully bring some godly wisdom, instruction to the table. Okay, so we're not all just on our own individual journeys apart from the local church. We all do this in the local church. So you have at the top of 26 the difference between inspiration and illumination. I'm going to give you these overarching definitions here that you can set next to each other. And then we'll go through these four passages and determine whether they're talking about inspiration or illumination. Inspiration is the Spirit's ministry in causing God's exact message to be revealed through man to man. And this ministry of the Spirit has ceased. The Bible's complete. We don't need a 67th book of the Bible. We don't need uh, to have another uh, scripture given to us, but God has given us all that we need for life and godliness. It says in 2 Timothy 3 that the word of God exists, that the man of God would be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay? We, uh, we have the word of God. We can grow by his grace by understanding what he has revealed in the Bible. Illumination, on the other hand, is the Spirit's ministry in causing God's people to understand and apply the message he revealed through the prophets and the apostles. So inspiration is the Spirit's ministry in causing the message to be revealed. Illumination is the Spirit's ministry in causing God's people to understand the revealed message. One has to do with the production of the Bible. The other has to do with the handling of the Bible, the perceiving of what's in the Bible. That's the difference between inspiration and illumination. But both of these are a work of the Spirit. That's why this uh, lesson is in the section on the nature of the Spirit of God, because He is the one at work in both of these ministries, inspiration and illumination. Now that we have those set side by side, any thoughts or questions before we move on to look at the passages? And I'll leave that up there as you continue to jot that down. Good, good. Well, we are going to go through these four passages that we have listed on page 26 to quiz you and see if you can identify whether we're looking at inspiration or illumination. Uh, we have 15 minutes left. I think that's enough time for all of us to turn to each one of these together. And so as you finish up writing down those definitions, let's turn to 2 Samuel 23 together. 2 Samuel 23 is where we'll go. Someone left an aquafina up here yesterday. Does that belong to anybody in this room? 
Aquafina, Aquafina. Anybody named Aquafina? Okay, all right. That's a Aquafina. Okay. It's unopened. I might open it. Yeah, I might. Come Tuesday when I'm back in the office, if no one's taking it, I probably will. Yeah. <clears throat> Aquafina. I like that word. All right. 2 Samuel 23, 1 to 3 is where we'll be here. Let's, uh, I'll read these and then we'll get volunteers for the next three. 2 Samuel 23, starting at verse 1. Remember, we're looking to identify inspiration or illumination. Now, these are the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, declares, the man who was raised on high declares, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel, quote, the spirit of the Lord God, oh, not Lord God, just Lord, I inserted a word there. The spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. Now identify this, are we talking about inspiration or illumination? And if you are hesitant to answer, which it sounds like you are, who is doing what in this verse? Okay, the Spirit is speaking. Does that sound like inspiration or illumination? Inspiration, good, this is inspiration. So this is David presenting to Israel a message. And this message is from the Spirit of God. That's what's happening there. He's clarifying that his last song is a song from God for his people. So if I were to stand up at the pulpit today and say, the Lord spoke to me, the Lord declares, and then I tell you something that is extra biblical, something that comes from outside the Bible, well, I'm basically giving you new scripture, aren't I? Because that's what scripture is. It's the spirit of the Lord speaking through his chosen apostles and prophets to give a message to the people. Okay, let's go to the next one. Psalm 119, 169 through 176. That's a big section, isn't it? Psalm 119. And would someone please read those eight verses for us? Okay, thank you. Okay, so starting there with the first verse Mandy read for us, 169, who is, who's doing what in the verse? Okay, and what's he requesting? Yeah, understanding according to the word. So yeah, inspiration or illumination, that's illumination, isn't it? Uh, deliver me according to your word. And it says in verse 171, you teach me your statutes. So these, this isn't the creating of statutes. That would be inspiration. This is the understanding of statutes. So that's illumination. Maybe you could put this uh, up there with your definitions at the top of page 26. Inspiration has to do with um, the revealing of statutes or revealing of commandments. Illumination has to do with the understanding of commandments. So with each one of these passages, just ask yourself, 
Does this have to do with revealing something new? Or does it have to do with understanding something that was already given? That's the fundamental difference between the two. When David cries out, or I shouldn't say David, Psalm 119 uh, is not ascribed to David. When the author here says, give me understanding, that's a sweet, inspired cry for illumination. (laughs) Now, isn't that kind of interesting? This will get your brain in a pretzel here this morning. Uh, His cry to be illumined was inspired. Because Psalm 119, of course, is Scripture. It's in the Bible. It was given by God through His people, for His people. But we see in this inspired crying out to God, He's requesting illumination. And that's a simple prayer that you can take with you. You can repeat that prayer. Every time you open your Bible and you want to read Scripture, three words, give me understanding. And then you start reading. That's what the psalmist cried for, and you can cry for that too, okay? Thoughts or questions as we have gone through two passages here to consider inspiration and illumination? Tracking? Okay. All right, let's go to the next, Isaiah 55. Isaiah chapter 55. Whoa, what a sweet passage. Verses 10 and 11. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. Now, this, this one gets a little more difficult. I've got to give you some tough ones here, too, you know. We were getting, getting too easy there. So, verses 10 and 11, would someone read those for us? Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. Got it. Mike, go ahead. All right. So, again, the same two questions. Who is doing what? And I say verse for each. Those are say uh, passage. More than one verse. But consider who is doing what, and then consider whether it's inspiration or illumination. What are your thoughts here? Yes. All right, so you have, of course, the Lord speaking in his words, his revelation, coming down like rain or snow, and... That means, uh, you know, the words that he wants to be communicated to man are inspired by him. But is that all we see in this passage? What do we get in verse 11 here? All right. And what is his purpose with his word? Yeah, that people would understand it, right? He doesn't just give out his word and then go hands off and say, I don't know if anybody's going to get this. (laughs) Now, that might be how you feel sometimes when you read complicated passages in the Bible. But that's not, you know, the way God set this up. He sent his revelation with a purpose. And to be able to understand the word, you need to rely on God. You don't want to read it as the natural man, but as the spiritual man. So these words have played out in history, both in inspiration and in illumination. They were inspired, and it talked about inspiration that would be coming through the prophets and apostles. But now this passage continues to be fulfilled even to our day as God causes people to lay hold of his word, causes people to understand by his spirit. So we actually get a little bit of both in this passage of inspiration and illumination. Good, good. 
Well, John 16 is where we'll finish today. Okay, John chapter 16. John 16, 12 to 15 now, we have these words of Christ that we've already examined here in the last month. But uh, again, I'll go ahead and put the questions up there. Who's doing what? And is this inspiration or illumination? Who would read this for us? John 16, 12 to 15. Who's got it? Stan? Very good. All right, so who's doing what? Okay. What's the Father doing? Well, let's look at verse 15. We'll start at the last verse where the Father is mentioned. And what's He sharing with the Son? I'll phrase it that way. What's the Father sharing with the Son? All things. And who is the Son sharing with? The Spirit, and what is the Spirit of doing according to verse 13? Okay, on the one hand, he's guiding, and also in verse 13, he's speaking. All right, so he's guiding and speaking. Jesus promised to his disciples that their preaching and their writing would be inspired by God as he alone saw fit. So he is going to be speaking to the disciples, inspiring them as they write scripture, as they preach, as they are used to get the church off the ground, so to speak. They're the ones that are leading in the early church. They're being guided by the Spirit into all the truth as he discloses to them from the Son. He reveals to them those things which belong to the Son. And the Son has all these things from the Father. So that's the chain of events there. The Father, I say chain of events, but it's, I don't know if that's the right way to phrase that, but you have the Father disclosing to the Son, and you have the Son disclosing to the Spirit, and then you have the Spirit disclosing to the disciples. So each one of these is disclosing. That's the language that we get there. That's the, uh, that's the chain, and that is how they were inspired to write from God. There's order to all of this. It wasn't the Father who inspired them. It wasn't the Son who inspired them. It was the Spirit as He received from the Son who received from the Father. Any final thoughts or questions or concerns, dreams, hopes, aspirations, complaints, There you go, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. So now you've got, um, actually, then that's a good point. You've got, you've got two ways that you can think about this. You have um, those original disciples who became Bible writers. And then you've got us, okay? So with the Bible writers, you have inspiration, And with us, you have illumination. All right? So we still are affected by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but not in the same way as the Bible writers were. Okay? Isn't that pretty cool? I like that.
Never made that before. Never made that little diagram. I'm going to save it. That's a good one. Okay. Very good. Well, I'll pray, and then we'll uh, move on to the next thing. God, we thank you so much for, again, for this day and for your word. We thank you that you've saved us and you've given us uh, the ministry of reconciliation, as we'll look at momentarily, and you've given us your spirit. Help us to pursue you in the truth. Help us to honor you this morning as we worship together. In Jesus' name, amen.